Okay, guys, welcome back. This is episode 15 of the Choose FI radio podcast. And today we're going to be talking about second generation fire. You're listening to Choose FI radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. I don't think there's a more interesting conversation out there than financial independence. And when you discovered financial independence and the concept of of FI for the first time, many of us have that light bulb moment in which we start making drastic changes to our life in order to achieve this goal. But this journey often comes with a very predictable and foreseeable pivot if you're looking for it. Specifically, if you're a parent, at some point, the conversation has to turn to the next generation. And, And you're looking at it from two perspectives. One, from the perspective of you are now raising kids while potentially being a stay-at-home mom or dad, no longer working for the paycheck at this point, which is a very, very interesting look at life. But then the second half of that has to be, what does this life look like for your kids? Because you are going to be pursuing it and mentoring them from such a different place as maybe the childhood or the family home that you grew up in. This is what we fondly refer to as second generation fire. And to put it succinctly, how often have you said to yourself, what if I knew then what I know now? And then apply that to the ultimate life hack, which we consider financial independence. How powerful is this to instill these concepts in the lives of the people that you most care about from an early age? And how do you do that? We want to explore that today. So I'm excited to have it. I have Brad here with me in the studio and also Justin from Root of Good. Hi, Justin. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks so much. Glad to be here. Absolutely. This is going to be a lot of fun. We've talked to you when we were getting ready for this about kind of what we wanted to accomplish today, but I am so excited to really dig through your content. I'm relatively new to your blog. I found you actually from a recommendation of another guest that we had on a few weeks ago, a millionaire educator. And he said he stated that your blog, specifically uh, one of your articles, $150,000 of income, $150 in income tax was one of his favorite blog articles of all time. And that's pretty high praise. So I went and checked it out and I'm not surprised that he enjoyed it because it is absolutely fantastic. And what I found is that you didn't just have that article. You have, I mean, how many articles have you written now? Is it close to a hundred? Probably over a hundred now. Yeah. And I especially loved your April fool's one from a, from a couple years ago. (laughs) (laughs) The actual true secret to financial independence is uh, eating cat food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And uh, I got all the way through that one before I realized that you were kidding. And I was horrified. I was like, please let this be a joke. Let this be a joke. April 1st, one of my favorite holidays. Yeah. So now we, we actually, do not eat cat food. I'm glad that you can clarify that for our audience. <laughs> I was thinking maybe Jacob from ERE, maybe he actually would do this. So, you know, maybe, maybe hey, someone else is doing it. $7,000 a year. That's a tight budget to live on. So, I mean, if you have to eat cat food, you have to eat cat food. I hear you, man. I hear you. So, you know, I was going to dig into this article. We've covered a little bit of tax optimization already, and it looks like you're using some of the same levers that Millionaire Educators talked about. Specifically, you had access to that magical thing called the 457. Right. Yeah. So we had access to 
401ks for for myself and my wife. We were both working and I was a a state employee for several years uh, at the end of my career. And we have access to not only a 401k, but also a 457, which is essentially just like a 401k with uh, two main differences. One of them is you can contribute the $18,000 maximum to a 401k and another $18,000 to a 457. So you can basically double up on your contributions and put $36,000 of your salary into these two plans. The second benefit to a 457, which is worth mentioning for those seeking financial independence and early retirement, you can withdraw the money at any time penalty-free. You just pay tax on it, just like a regular withdrawal from a 401k IRA, except there's no penalty. There's no 10% penalty. So very valuable if you have access to a 457 and you're pursuing financial independence and want to retire early and get access to that money, it's a great tool to have in your in your toolbox to pull money out early and avoid that 10% penalty. Yeah, Justin, that is such a key to me. And I know I very much emphasized this when we spoke with Millionaire Educator, but that seems to alleviate all the concern which I've always had about dumping everything in a 401k, which is how do I access this early? Obviously, there's 72T, there's the Roth IRA ladder, but man, if you have access to a 457, it just seems like that is the answer. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, I have, probably about two years worth of living expenses stuck in the 457. So at any time, I know that I can pull this money out and live for two years with what I have available to me. So it's a, yeah, it's, it's a great option to have in terms of having that flexibility to pull money out and not have to worry about 72T, Roth IRA conversion ladder, or some other method of getting access to those tax-deferred funds. I'm going to read just your one single paragraph here, which you titled, you know, shrink your paycheck. And it's specifically you listed on there, I guess, all the ones that you could come up with, which are no federal tax fraud here, just basic tax savings that most people have access to. And you mentioned the retirement plan contributions. So your 401k, your 457 or your 403b plans. You have pension contributions for some people, employee stock purchase plans, employee stock ownership plans, and then dumping money into health insurance, dental insurance, FSA and health savings account. And using some of those techniques, you are able to cut your taxable income down from 141,000 gross salary in half. Uh, Yeah, something like that, about in half. Definitely some powerful tools there. Okay, so just to our audience, this was just something we wanted to hit because this article is so powerful. It's actually not going to be the focus of what we're going to talk about today. But I want you to go check out that article, $150,000 of income, $150 of income tax. Uh, That is something that all of you should be able to use, especially with it being what going to be going into March now, as you're going to be hearing this, you got April coming up. Maybe you can still take advantage of some of those opportunities. And just to jump in real quick for everyone listening, we will have all these articles and and such linked up in the show notes. That'll be choosefi.com forward slash zero one five. So Justin, early retirement at 33. You want to give us an overview? Sure. Yes. I started working right out of college, right out of law school, actually, at age 23. Um, I did not practice law. I practiced engineering, which engineering pays pretty well, probably about as well as law would. So I did that for 10 years, saved a whole lot of money, over 50% every year, I would say sometimes 60, 70% of my my, uh, gross income. My wife also worked. We have three kids so that you can have early retirement and you can have kids. It's just uh, you got to figure out how to make it all work. I've been retired for about three years now, three and a half years. We were set up in Raleigh, North Carolina. Our home base is here. We usually spend summers traveling for between three to nine weeks. In the past, we've been to on a road trip to Canada twice through the kind of the 
Midwestern states. Uh, I'm not sure what you call Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, and Michigan. I would call them awesome. Yeah, I would call it awesome. I mean, there, there's caves there. There's historic stuff. There's big cities. There's so much cool stuff to see. But we ended up in Canada for the cool weather during the summer. We've been to Mexico during the summer for seven weeks. And this summer, we're going to Europe. Uh, 2017. So we're spending nine weeks in Europe this summer. In terms of daily life, uh, the kids are in school for nine months out of the year. So we're kind of kind of here in Raleigh for the, the fall, winter and spring. And uh, it's, it's a pretty laid back lifestyle. You know, I, I, I do very little in terms of productive effort every day. It's a whole lots of relaxation. Uh, today, for example, you know, we got this podcast interview, but this afternoon might be either taking a stroll through the park, going hiking, uh, maybe go to the swimming pool. I'm not really sure. So so it's kind of a, a wide open schedule and I, I, I like it that way. Yeah, Justin, it's funny you say that. So actually, you know, I, I still work in 9 to 5 and I remember, I think I follow you on one of your social media platforms, maybe Twitter. And uh, I'm sitting there on my 9 to 5. I know it's 75 degrees outside. We, we both live in Virginia and I, I get this picture of your pasty white feet out on the back porch, just enjoying life, just saying, screw you guys, I'm really retired. And that was, that was, awesome and i hated you for it <laughs> at the same time yeah that that was my intent so um it yeah, worked. It, I, I, you know the wonderful thing about early retirement is you're able to take advantage of, of nice weather days in the middle of winter when it's 75 outside Th- those don't happen a lot here as I'm, I'm not far from you down here in raleigh so yeah i i i, I really great lifestyle yeah, I think one thing that people are worried about when they hear about early retirement is you're going to sit there and be bored. I personally don't find that. I, I, I'm i not 100% early retired, but I have a much more flexible lifestyle now. And to me, that's just such an odd comment. You're going to be bored when you have literally the whole world at your fingertips and you have financial resources. I'd love, you know, you gave us a sense of, of your nice relaxed days, but Tell us about your passions. What are you spending time on? I, I don't find many people who have been dedicated enough to become financially independent and retired early are just boring people. So I, I assume you have some type of passions or thing that keep you busy. It might be your kids, right? It might be your family. But give us a sense of what your life looks like. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's really a whole lot of various things, small things that add up to very full, rewarding days. Uh, and, and kids are a big part of it right now. You know, we have three kids, the two oldest, actually all three of them now are at different schools. So there's interacting with the kids, doing the carpool thing in the morning. We switch off with another family. So there's that routine. We walk to school here in the neighborhood for the youngest kid or for the middle kid. And then uh, we work on stuff at home with the four-year-olds. So we're working on kind of you know, I call it daddy homeschool, daddy preschool, getting him to read more books, learn new things, different ways of, of working with him just to get him ready for school and kind of give him a head start. We're able to go outside. We'll play here, go out and do little trips to the local museums here in Raleigh. But you know, beyond that, I really enjoy reading, whether it's, you know, online content, news, that's current events, that sort of thing. Um, I really love The Economist. So I'm kind of a uh, not not really a, a, a finance economics nerd, but, you know, I enjoyed reading about international politics, international business kind of stuff, uh, which, you know, fits into the financial independence blogging kind of world. But read a lot of books, I have a very active Netflix queue, <laughs> uh, which is, is growing faster than I can watch it. I think I will actually watch less Netflix now than I did when I was working which is kind of sad that other things have taken over my Netflix habit. As long as you caught up on Stranger Things first. Actually, I didn't enjoy that one that much. Oh, really? But yeah, I I don't know. I couldn't get into it. So I watched a couple of episodes. (laughs) It it never clicked for me. I guess I just, I love the 80s all day long every day. So that's probably (laughs) what it was. Justin, uh, one thing that caught my eye on your early retirement at 33 article was, 
optimal spouse selection. Now, this is what I credit my wife, Laura, for being more frugal than I am and really kind of targeting us and and honing us in on our spending. So, I mean, for us, she's the more frugal one. I know when we were down, Jonathan and I actually just went to Camp Mustache down in Florida. And a lot of people, it was a similar story. It was the wife was frugal and dragged the husband along kicking and screaming. And now he's on board. Uh, Tell us about, if you don't mind, optimal spouse selection and how that how that worked for you and your journey. Yeah, I think it starts with a maxim that your spouse can spend the money faster than you can make the money. And I, I don't want to say your husband or your wife can spend the money faster than you can make it, uh, because it could be either one. But I think it really comes down to having a compatible mindset in terms of earning the money and spending the money and, and keeping the rest of the money and investing it wisely. So so if you're if you're at odds with each other in terms of one spouse is a huge spender and the other one is a is a big saver, there's going to be a lot of conflict in, in that kind of relationship. So it doesn't mean that you both have to be hardcore savers and and you know early retirement extreme type of frugality. You know, you, you don't have to go that far to succeed on your quest to early retirement. So I would say as long as you can find someone you're compatible with in terms of similar spending goals, similar mindsets, I think it'll smooth the path a lot more. And there's always couples where one spouse is really on board and the other one is kind of just either oblivious to it or doesn't really care or thinks it's it's so far out in the future that there's no point of thinking about it. And we kind of started out that way in our relationship where I was more on board with early retirement and financial independence. Uh, in the first year or two of, of my working career. And my wife was just kind of like, okay, that's fine. You know, I'll go along with it. Uh, but then as the as the zeros started to add up in our, in our investment portfolio, I think the reality that early retirement was within reach, that reality started becoming more like a, or I guess the reality became more real. You know, I think that's what's interesting about the FIRE community and kind of what we're building here in our audience in that so many people don't realize what the other side looks like. It's hard to visualize it. Nobody in your neighborhood is doing what you're doing. Um, And when you just kind of start going out all alone and say, hey, we're going to start saving 60% of our income. Why? What, what are we just cheap? And and there's just not that you don't necessarily understand what the other side looks like. But in our community where there are thousands of people talking about this stuff, there's constant examples of what happens when you do have a 60% savings rate, even for a short period of time, You the value proposition becomes more clear. You start to understand it. And even when you're starting, you may not necessarily get that. But as you move in that direction and more people come forward and are sharing their stories in a way that you can relate to, you can understand their decision tree. Suddenly, if you're listening to this with you, your partner, it starts to make sense. And then you're like, oh, we're working towards this. And no, wait, we're actually getting closer. And oh, you're not going to have to be at work every other weekend, or you're going to be able to be here helping me out as we raise these children together. I think as you get a little bit closer to it and you start getting some traction and now you're not just paying off debt, but now you're actually working towards building something together. It's powerful, the freedom and the flexibility and what that means for how your relationship can actually grow and where you can go with that. Yeah, it's really and it's really abstract. I think when you're starting out on the path to to financial independence, it's it's really abstract what that kind of a lifestyle would look like. That that post fire world where you know you, you program your own daily schedule, you're in charge of you know if you want to take nine weeks off and go on a huge summer trip, you can do it. It's it's kind. Of, we, I, I take it for granted now because I've been early retired for over three years now. Uh, but yeah, it really is. Uh, you know, we're living like. The billionaires of you know the industrial area, uh, we're, we're able to do whatever we want to um, within you know. Obviously, we're not real billionaires, but you know we have that freedom, that flexibility to 
really have a lot of latitude in what we do every day. Yeah, and your most valuable resource is time. And that's literally what you have in abundance. So you don't need to be a billionaire if you can spend your time as you choose. So yeah, I totally hear you there. And I just want to kind of dial in on one thing real quick, which is our site and our podcast, are, it's Choose FI. So I like to kind of look at when someone started. So just based on your timeline, you said you started this at 23, retired at 33, you're plus three years. So we're talking 13 plus years in the past. So 2003, 2004, when you started this, like there were no, or at least to me at that time, there were no models of people who were financially independent, retired early. So I guess, A, the question to you would be, were there any models in your life or somewhere, or did, did you guys just come at this organically? And how did you know that this was real when you had nobody to look at on the internet or et cetera? When I started out, I, I found the early retirement forums which is is kind of people you know people on there today that are posting. I still keep up with with the forums there, and it's really a lot of people that are more you know in their sixties and seventies now that probably retired early ten or fifteen years ago when they were in their fifties. So it's definitely an older crowd than your typical early retirement blog that you see out there, where it's someone in their thirties or forties retiring early. But that was sort of the framework that I used was following along these other people that had done something similar in the past. Uh, it was just adapting it to not retiring in my 50s, but retiring in my in my 30s. Uh, and, and really, it wasn't. I started out thinking it would take me 20 years to get to early retirement. I, I thought I needed two and a half million dollars to fund my lifestyle. And it just turns out that we were able to uh, become more frugal a little bit, but also just dial in on what we're actually spending. I just didn't track it before. Once I started tracking what we're spending, I realized we don't need two and a half million dollars. We need closer to half that much. And I think one of the things that's interesting about that in our community, and we're going to do a whole podcast on this, so we won't go super deep. But in our community, we talk a lot about the safe withdrawal rate. And to oversimplify that, basically what we say is you figure out what your annual lifestyle is costing you, you multiply it times 25, and then whatever number is, that's the number you hit, you need to hit in order to essentially be financially independent. So if you want to live off $90,000 a year, then you need $2.2 million. But on the conversely, if you decide, you know what? Yeah, that might be great, but I don't really need that in my life because I've paid off all this debt and my mortgage is paid off or it's very inexpensive for where we're at. We actually really are living only cost $30,000. You know, now you need what, like $600,000 essentially or $700,000. So it's, it is how much you need to earn is a very predictable number. And it's directly tied to the cost of your living. So inevitably, once you figure out what the picture looks like, you can start to dial it in. And even if you once you get started on this, you may find that you are able to actually achieve your goal way sooner uh, just because the frugality often is a byproduct of intentionality. Yes, certainly. And that's one thing that, you know, when you start thinking about it in terms of, okay, if I pick up this $10,000 per year expense, whether that's a boat or a vacation home or whatever. Uh, $10,000 per year in early retirement translates to an extra quarter of a million dollars you're going to need to fund that $10,000 per year expense. And so I think when you frame it, frame it in that context, uh, it, it makes more sense to try to get a little bit more frugal or find some way to, you know, to do that vacation home or that boat for free or for, for cheap. Uh, and because that way you can avoid that extra $250,000 requirement in your portfolio and you can retire that much earlier. Hey, Justin, I, I want to uh, shift gears for a second and, and talk about kids. So in your early retirement at 33, you have a, a section here on kids. And I, I just want to read it because it's, it's great writing and it's really funny. Yeah, we had them, lots of them. 
2023 to be exact. Recent really scary news reports indicate it costs like $300,000 to raise each kid. I can't figure out how they spend so much money on little creatures whose favorite things to play with are cardboard boxes and shiny pieces of plastic up until age seven or so. And that 300000 didn't even include college. Now, this is something my wife and I talk about all the time. When you, hear, when you see those annual reports of 300000 or whatever the heck they say it is, where do they come up with that number, right? I mean, it's completely ludicrous. And what do you think that kids actually cost you per year? I... I haven't really broken it out directly. I think to answer the question about where do they come up with this number, I would say it's an average. And so if you think about a lot of people who are average and they live an average lifestyle, they just they just do dumb stuff. They do suboptimal things when it comes to spending. So if you want to be average, then it's going to cost about 300000 If you want to make smart, intentional decisions and, and make use your money effectively, uh, make cost-effective choices, it, it definitely will cost a lot less than that. In terms of what it costs us, I mean, we're we're spending so far in the three years of retirement, we've spent between twenty four to thirty nine thousand per year, uh, which included buying a minivan. Um, we've been on you know the the all the international trips we've been on, cruises two usually two or three per year, uh, cruises to the Caribbean with the family. So uh, you know we we go, our kids go to public school. We, we live in the city. We provide food for them. They have health insurance. There's, I think it's cheaper to have five people in the household per person. It's a much cheaper to have five people than it is to have one or two. So there's a lot of economies of scale there as well, where, you know, if you, if you buy a single family house, it's going to come with three or four bedrooms, which is pretty much enough to handle two or three kids. There's always bunk beds. It's a very, very cheap way to get extra sleeping space in a house. So I think if you feel like you have to have a five-bedroom McMansion, if you have three kids, yes, it's going to cost you $300,000 over the course of, of your, each kid's lifetime, you're, or you know, until they're 18, you're going to be spending $300,000. If you can make some small tweaks and some small sacrifices here and there, it, it can really cost a whole lot less. You know, I'm still learning the whole Twitter universe and, and, and all these things, but if there's ever been a tweetable quote, it was, if you want to be average... It's going to cost 300 grand. Yeah, Jonathan and I looked at each other and were like, man, that is the best quote we've heard so far. That was that was awesome. Definitely going in the show notes. Awesome. You know, the other thing that I really loved about what you just said was you guys vacation the crap out of this world. I mean, that's awesome. You got three kids and you're going on three plus vacations a year. Uh, yeah, so far. Yeah, we're always looking for actionable tips. Uh, how do you save money on cruises? Well, we travel in the off season, which is a little bit difficult with uh, the school schedule. But this past year, we went right before Christmas, and for some reason, it was not ridiculously priced. Uh, they had we went on the MS MSC cruise line. Uh, they have kids sell free promotions pretty often, so up to age eleven or twelve, uh, the kids are they they sell free. You just pay tax for their room, which is usually about a hundred dollars for a seven night cruise. So we, we booked, uh, you know, we booked a cabin and the kids sell free. It's, it's off season. So the rates are probably half or a quarter of what they are during the middle of the summer. And the weather actually is even nicer in the Caribbean during the winter months. Uh, it's more moderate. It's, it's usually cool up here in, in the mid Atlantic States. Uh, it's a lot nicer down there in the Caribbean and in Florida. So we just, you know, we look on, we look for deals. As soon as we see a deal, we jump on it. We actually we usually buy the cruise through a shopping portal like Ebates. Um, so we go through Ebates, get a 10% cash rebate uh, when we purchase cruises through Expedia.com or somewhere like that. Uh, so that's, that's, you know, we get a good deal on the cruise, then we save another 10% from the cashback site. 
And, uh, and then we actually do a lot of our own kind of roll our own adventure. Once we're on the, on the ship, we don't pay for the excursions, which are ridiculously priced many times. Uh, so there's a lot and we just enjoy the amenities on board. Don't really drink a lot of alcohol on board. We don't really drink a whole lot in general, but you know, on board it's, it's kind of your regular bar prices. So we, we go pretty light on the alcohol and, and usually you can bring your own bottle of wine on board a lot of the ships. So, uh, we'll do that. But yeah, just kind of, uh, you know, look for good deals and then jump when, jump when you see a good deal. Nice. Yeah, that's really cool. I love that tip on Ebates too. That's something everybody out there should, should sign up for. That's a, a very, very good one. And also excursions. I mean, those things are absurd. I don't want to belabor that here, but my parents go on uh, cruises all the time and they do those crazy excursions every single stop. And it just, I mean, it essentially like doubles or triples the price of your, of your actual trip when you could just... I mean, really plan many of these things on your own and do it for a fraction. So it's, you know, how I look at saving money and being frugal is just being a little bit smarter than the next guy. And I'm always looking for a little hack to do that. So yeah, that's, that's good stuff, Justin. Thanks. Yeah. And it's, here's a good example. We've watched people, they'll get off the ship and they'll go do the swim with the dolphins thing in Mexico and they're paying about $200 each for this experience. So for a family, 800 to a thousand dollars. And we've seen, seen people walk up and negotiate the same exact experience for a hundred dollars for the entire family. Uh, so, you know, for a two minute conversation, you can save $700. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. That's such a great, because I want to swim with the dolphins. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I mean, it's cool. I just don't know if I would ever value it at a thousand dollars for, for, oh, for, the, you know, for the 20 minutes, but you know, what we're really thinking here is, the biggest concern that Brad and I have is if we decide to retire early, are our kids going to be okay? Yeah, that's actually a, a very common obsession with people that are approaching early retirement. And they have kids, young kids. Kids are impressionable. So they're they're watching what you're doing. And, and they say, well, I want my kid to see me going to work every single day and, and working really hard because I think that's the way that when they grow up, they're going to want to work really, really hard. And I, I think, you know, there's two parts to that. The one is, your kids don't see what you're doing at work when you go to work. They see you driving away in the car. You know, they, you drop them off at school. They see you driving away in the car and you go somewhere eight hours a day. And then they're busy at school. You come home from work and then they come home from school. And, you know, they don't really see what you're doing. They know that you're not at home, but they don't really know where you are, what you're doing exactly. Such a great um, point. Such so they, great so point. they understand, like, you're busy. You're doing something. You're somewhere. But they don't really see you, um, you know, if you're coding something. They don't see you working on on code necessarily. I mean, maybe they see you at home, you know, over your shoulder, uh, but they don't really know what you're doing for sure. So I think, I think that's kind of an overblown point of, Hey, they're going to see me going off to work every day and they're going to see this hard work ethic and then figure it out. And the second point is you got a question is the point of life really to just work as much as you can anyway. I mean, isn't it a better lesson to teach your kids? Hey, I did this really cool thing where I worked hard for 10 years and saved my money and then I can do whatever I want to for the next 50 years. Um, I, I would rather teach my kids that than the traditional way of, hey, you have to go to college and then work for 40 years. And then maybe if you're lucky and you know if you win the lottery, you can retire at 65. I think it's just, you got to question the, the premise of what are you even teaching your kids anyway about work ethic? That's fantastic. Don't you worry that kids are going to worry about family money issues? Uh, I think that's, I think that is a, a concern. And I guess it comes down to how much you share with your kids in terms of how early retirement finances work. And so, you know, in our situation, we've explained to them uh, in, in general terms, there's we have this big pot of money and 
uh, it generates dividends and, and interest. And we take that that money and we use it to fund. We, we pay for utilities. We pay for food. We're paying for vacations. And so the money that we have works for us and it generates money that we can use to live off of. And and this is different than most families where they go to work and they have they have a paycheck that they get every two weeks. And then that, that money is, is what they use to live off of. So I think just in, in those broad terms, it's pretty easy to explain, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to be okay and we could always go back to work. I, I, I think a lot of families actually have the opposite problem of where they, they make a lot of money, but they spend more than what they make. And so they have actual real money problems and, and real legitimate concerns about being able to have enough. And, and so I, 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 don't, I don't see it as being a big problem in terms of early retirement and the kids worrying about money as long as they understand the basic premise of it. And I think they get it at age seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. I mean, it, they don't have to be 16 or 18 years old to understand the basics of it, especially if they have a bank account, a savings account, and they see that, that they get interest on their money in their own account. They understand on a fundamental level, when you put, when you invest money or you save money, it can work for you and it can generate an income, even if it's only a few dollars. I mean, they, you know, it, it, that, that same principle still applies and carries over to a much larger sum of money. Yeah. And just one thing you mentioned in there that I kind of alluded to was when you have money and you're not spending more than, than you earn, just like everybody else, there's so much less stress in the family also. I mean, you read these surveys that money is, is the biggest stressor in people's lives. And that for people like us who have managed to save 50 plus percent of our income, Money is not a stress. Money is a tool that we use. And I know we're able to teach our kids and by doing some sort of matching their savings and doing all sorts of creative things to teach them about money. And it sounds like you guys do similar stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't provide them copies of our quarterly net worth statement or anything. Someday though, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they pick over our shoulder while we're looking at our finances and they see, oh, there's, there's two commas in that net worth figure. What does that mean? Uh, you know, it leads to interesting conversations. And I, I don't, they don't seem to care a whole lot in terms of the, the details and cash flow and the, the minutiae of how our finances operate. I think they know enough to know that our finances are very different than, than the average family out there. And uh, I think that gives them that confidence to know that even though we don't have jobs and we're not working like traditional people, we still have very solid finances that can support us indefinitely. Yeah, Justin, I, I just want to quickly go back to what we talked about, the kids seeing you go to work every day and that being a detriment to them if they're not seeing hard work. And that's always struck me as similar to you, just such an odd an odd thought process. To me, kids don't care if you're working. You instill work ethic in them in other ways. And I think most importantly, honestly, it's about having time with your children. And you have all the time in the world. I know I similar things with me is, like you mentioned, walking your your kid to school. I volunteer at my daughter's school all the time. And there aren't many other fathers who are volunteering on a weekly basis. And it just, it affords you all these opportunities to spend time with your children that you just simply wouldn't when you're working nine to five or eight to seven, like most people or whatever it is, right? Plus a commute. I mean, we have time to invest in our children's lives. And that, that to me is the crucial point. Yeah, and there've been a, a number of times where, our kids need a little bit of extra help here and there uh, or some intervention. And that's when it really drives home the point that, you know, I have, if I need to, I can devote 15 or 16 hours per day uh, to helping my kids get back on track on something. 
And, and that's whether it, you know, whether it's going to school and volunteering and helping out or whether it's with homework or assignments or they're falling behind or, or whatever. Um, it, it's, it's having that flexibility in my schedule to just be able to say, okay, I can drop everything at this point and, and focus on this one thing to get them back on track. You know what I love, we've kind of moved into the advantages of early retirement with kids. And one of the things that I know that you've talked about before is when you retire early, you're actually cutting down on your kid's cost. Yeah. So, so that's a, another big thing is people, uh, probably the biggest expense that people face with kids, especially in the, in the early years, uh, are childcare costs, daycares in most areas, um, six, eight, 10, 12,000 per year. Um, some big cities, it could be 20,000 per year for, for childcare in the first four or five years of their lives. So, so if you're, if you're going into early retirement and you are having a baby soon, or you're planning on starting a family, or, you know, you have a one or two year old being able to save 20,000 or $40,000 per year on, on childcare or preschool costs, that's a huge cost savings that you can you can pocket immediately um that after school care you know people still pay not tens of thousands but a thousand or two thousand dollars or sometimes more for after school programs which is basically just daycare so so being able to get rid of those expenses once you do retire early and being able to you know go pick up your kid from school or be there when the school bus drops them off or walk to school and pick them up um, not only is it that valuable time you spend with them, but also you're, you are saving thousands of dollars in, in, in avoided childcare costs. I'm going to, if you're okay with that, I'm just going to read a paragraph from an article that you wrote that I thought was a great summary of what that freedom and flexibility looks like in, in relationships to actually cutting costs. So in this particular article, you said there's lots of free activities during the weekdays that I'm now able to take advantage of since I'm no longer working. Your local library just up the street offers a story time for different age groups, two to three times a week. The community center next door to the library offers two hours of free open play for kids up to age five twice a week. The community parks, hiking trails, greenways, and pools are also free or almost free. And these places are like ghost towns when all the other parents are at work. The cooking at home saves a ton of money, leads to a healthier lifestyle. And these cost savings are available to you either way, but because of your additional free time and because you have more than two mouths to feed, you're able to just to spend $10 on great ingredients and you can make all these awesome d- dinners instead of dropping 40 bucks on takeout. That's a great summary. I can't believe I wrote that, but yeah, it's great. Uh, it, it's, it really summarizes where you're at once, you, once you're able to have more time and more freedom to uh, choose what you're doing each day. You can take advantage of all those activities during the day. Uh, you know, for our for our kid, that was he's under age five, so he's not in in full time school yet. Um, but there's even though we don't send him to a full time preschool, he's still out there doing a lot of activities during the week that are that are all free. And everything that we've mentioned so far, none of that had to do with taxes. I mean, there's some significant tax savings that offset a lot of that as well. Yeah, so I, I figured out with with the kids, it saves us while we were working. It saved us roughly fifty five hundred dollars per year to have three kids. So I don't. I'm sure we spent more than fifty five hundred per year on kids, but uh, a large part of our kid expenses were covered by the by the tax savings. Hey, Justin, going back to the, will my kids be okay if I retire early? Now, Jonathan was kind of sarcastically asking the questions that you uh, pose here, but I want to talk about one, which is. Will my kids suffer from an entitlement mentality? And I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, that's that's one that we 
I think we have to just work with the kids and explain to them, yeah, our lifestyle is, is different. What we're able to do, a lot of kids are not able to do because, I mean, in a way, we are living that kind of uh, playboy billionaire lifestyle, uh, the, I mean, the trips that we can take, the flexibility, not having to work, having both parents able to do whatever, whenever. It, it, I think it I think it does. It, it can give that perception that you don't have to work hard to succeed in life. But, you know, it's we, we still live pretty frugally. And I, and I think our, and our kids know, too. I mean, they, they value a dollar very, very much. I mean, they sometimes they surprise me with their with their natural frugality that I guess they picked up from us. But uh, but it's it's because we talk about money. I mean, we 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 treat money as a tool. And we try to get value out of money. So I think when when they have they have their own money, they can go and spend. And when they go to spend that money, they you can tell they're trying to think: Is this a smart way to do this? Is this a smart way to spend money? And, and we'll talk about you know if let's go do let's go spend money on A or let's go spend money on B. And they can think through the process of where, how do you spend money? What's the best way to get the most value out of this money? And they'll, you know, they, they can apply that kind of analytical framework in, in their own heads. So I, I think when it comes to that entitlement mentality, um, they also know this is our money that we get to spend as, as parents. And that at some point, you know, they're going to be responsible for going out and earning their own money. Um, and, and, and they're okay with that. I mean, they, they get that this is not like, you know, they're, they're not going to be trust fund babies. We just don't have enough money to make them trust fund babies. Uh, when they grow up and they, they, you know, go out on their own, they're going to have to earn their own money for early retirement. But they, you know, one of them's already mentioned, I'm going to go work hard, really, really hard for tw- 10 years or 20 years or whatever. And, and then she wants to retire early too. So, so I think they get that it's, it's not an automatic path to success to have parents who have money. Um, there's also that, that component of hard work and effort to get you know, to get themselves to that, to that financial independence goal. I'm going to kind of plug what you just said. And also a thought that Brad and I have been throwing around for a while. So you and Brad and and to some degree myself, we, we essentially, and the audience that's listening to us, we're a first generation fire. This is really hitting right now. This idea of doing what you just did. Uh, There's a lot of people that are on this path within the next five or six years. And it's peaking. I mean, it's really hitting critical mass right now with how it's getting out into mainstream. Almost every article, new article that's posted is, is being uploaded to Business Insider these days. I mean, mainstream America is just now starting to really hear about this stuff. But what's going to happen very, very quickly over the next 10 years is the audience will still be the same, but the focus is going to shift uh, from us as first generation fire to now second generation fire. So not only did we start to soak up and live and breathe these ideas, but we actually did it. And we did it at a young enough age that now we're able to directly impact our kids' vision for the future. And so while it's still the same audience, we're going to be thinking, you know, how can we instill some of these values and this mentality and this work ethic that is required in order to achieve this? All of us at some point in our life are going to have to trade time for money. But how can we use that as a tool to get more of our time back? And then how can we help our kids get started even before we did? I mean, start helping them to think about these things at the age of 13, 14, 15, 18 as they go into college and before they get saddled with $60,000 in student loan debt. And I think that's kind of where we want to finish this. This has absolutely been fantastic. And I've loved digging through this information with you, Justin. But we wanted to take a, a period of time to really talk to you about another article that you wrote that's absolutely brilliant and it's incredibly well thought out. You've gone through everything that you could think of on what college is going to look like for your kids as they approach it in the next 10 years here. 
um, using some of the principles that we've talked about, just optimizing everything. We said that raising a child can cost up to $300,000 for the average family, but nobody in this room is average. The people listening to this don't want to be average. They want to look for an optimized way to do it. So can we explore your how to pay for college while early retired? Yeah, absolutely. So I, th- I think you got to lay the groundwork early on. I'm talking when they're 11, 12, 13 years old, start thinking about where they're going to be going for high school. Can they take extra coursework in high school, whether it's uh, from the local university or community college, um, AP classes? Do they have some kind of credit by exam program? Do they have an early college high school like we have here in Raleigh, Wake County? Uh, Ways to get access to free or very, very cheap college credit during high school. Uh, so that's something that I did personally ended up going into college with almost 60 credit hours, uh, almost two years of college credit. And so that right off the bat, you know, that's what would you call $50,000 worth of college education right there uh, for probably less than $1,000 by the time I finished high school. And that was mostly AP classes, taking classes from the university, taking some summer school right before real college started. When I was still living at home. So just on the margin, you know, working harder, doing better in school, focusing on academics, um, getting access to those those college credits early on. So and, then, and just before we go too far past that, I mean, did you have someone explain how to do that? How did you realize that that's a possibility? Because I came through about I'm a, just a few years behind you, but I couldn't figure out how to piece that together. Now, on the perimeter, on the periphery, I knew a few people that maybe had figured something out, but I didn't know how to replicate that. How were you able to piece all that together? Uh, I guess it was partly the culture at our, the high school I went to, it was very academically focused. So there were a lot of kids that were way smarter than me. So I just kind of copied them. But, uh, I, I think it just, and then I ended up, I ended up getting the, um, from the, the public university here in Raleigh, North Carolina state university. I just pulled their course catalog that had the information on what the curriculum looks like for an engineering program. And so I started focusing on, um, you know, pretty early on 10th, 11th grade, somewhere in there, maybe 11th grade, thinking about what courses do I, am I going to be taking in college and, and what do I need to focus on in high school that, that will plug into that college curriculum uh, with the idea being to go ahead and start that college curriculum in, in 11th and 12th grade. So thinking about, you know, those physics, those calculus classes, I did uh, early release for college in the afternoon. I went over to the university and took some engineering classes uh, in the afternoons as a science elective, essentially. But, you know, they were like thermodynamics and electrical engineering and stuff like that. But just I had t- topped out at the physics at the high school. So so looking at the college that I thought I wanted to go to, which I did end up attending uh, and, and then working within that curriculum so that so that, you know, for 100 percent fact, those classes you're taking will transfer and count at that university, because that, that's always a challenge too of spending time and effort and then not getting credit for those courses when you do go to the university. I cannot Uh, highlight enough the importance of what you just, that is the thing that people miss. And when they're taking a class, especially at the high school or community college level, it is unbelievably critical that you first go to your final destination, your four-year school, and you find out ahead of time and come up with a plan for how are these going to transfer? Because there is no point taking an underwater basket weaving class at a community college if it is not in some way shape or form helping you achieve your final goal it's a waste of your time yeah certainly and and i you know i know a lot of people in the financial independence realm uh, end up in engineering and that was one thing that the engineering school was very discerning in terms of what credits they would let in and what they would deny and it had to be you know the the calculus based physics classes the calculus based electricity and magnetism classes. It couldn't be the regular version of it. So if you took the regular version, you would not get credit for that engineering 
physics in, in, in the university. And so it, yeah, it's essentially just a wasted, uh, wasted money for the AP exam and wasted time and effort uh, in, unless you're going into a non-engineering discipline. So, you know, kind of you got to figure out where you want to head at some point, you know, 10th, 11th grade, which can be challenging. But, but you know, once you, once you do figure it out, and you, you got to make sure that those credits will transfer in. And, and I think that to segue into the, the next big thing of college uh, is, is once you're there, how do you pay for it? Hopefully you can do it in three years. Uh, if, if you've gone in with some credit and, and have a, you know, have an intentional focus on to getting a, a worthwhile degree that will at some point earn you money. And, and that could be a lot of different things. It does not have to be engineering or computer science, although that does seem to be very, very popular in the early retirement world. Uh, just because I think it, it leads to a pretty high salary right out of a four-year university. And so you can start earning and start saving a lot of money. But once you're there, you know, there's there's the financial aid aspect of it. Um, a lot of early retirees will do very, very, very well when it comes to the FAFSA, financial aid form. Um, that, that It actually ignores your tax-deferred savings, so your 401k, your IRAs. They don't really look at those when it comes time to calculate how much financial aid you'll get based on need. So... What really surprised me was how poor we look on paper in spite of our <laughs> seven-figure portfolio. Uh, I, I really, you know, I did not even think that we would qualify for any kind of need-based aid going into into college. So several years ago, I was just kind of like, okay, you know, we're going to need to have lots of money, and they're going to have to work a little bit during college and pay their way for you know beer money, room and board, that kind of stuff. Um, but we'll we'll wing it, we'll figure it out. We've got some money in the five twenty nine. And then I, I actually plugged it into one of those online financial aid calculators. And I was like, wow, they ignore your house and they ignore your million dollar retirement portfolio. They're only looking at your taxable investments and your cash on hand and your actual earnings. And most early retirees have very, very low earnings uh, just because they're pulling from investments. They're pulling from, you know, maybe selling some stocks for some capital gains, uh, but just not really, you know, the, the adjusted gross income for most early retirees is is rather modest. They're not earning those six figure salaries anymore. Most people aren't spending six figures um, or if they are, they're not they don't have a six figure adjusted gross income. So we look poor on paper. We look we look asset poor. We look income poor. And those are really the things they look at for the financial aid. Just unfortunately, you know, the people that don't really need the aid as much will end up getting it from a societal perspective. It's unfortunate. But from, you know, from a, a greedy, self-interested perspective, most early retirees will do very well when it comes to financial aid. So I, I think there is need-based aid out there for a lot of people that will, will help uh, mitigate some of those college costs. Uh, lots of other things you can do. Um, ha- have the kid live at home for a while if they want to. You know, we have local universities here. They're they're very good. Um, so that may be an option. I, I, the kids say they want to do it now when they're age 11, age 10. They say they want to live here. That may change the next. <laughs> um, so I'm not I'm not banking on that. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll be flexible either way. Uh, once they do end up in college, uh, there's lots of opportunities to make money while they're there. You know, there's there's the, the busing tables, waiting tables kind of thing. But there's also lots of internships available. You know, if you're if you're getting a degree in, in business or sciences or engineering, tons of companies are out there hiring people in those fields for part time work during the school year and particularly during the summers or through co-op programs. Uh, so you get tons of practical experience in your career field. You very often get a salary or wages much higher than minimum wage. Uh, you have something on your resume. So you have network connections with people in the, in the industry already. You have a resume that has those these jobs on it. Oh, and that's you get so things. unbelievably critical to get that while you're in school. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I, I think, you know, I kind of ignored those opportunities to some extent. I did a lot of them, but I didn't I did not do the, the co-op experience where you work, a, work a semester and then go to school for a semester. But uh, but that's, you know, even if it stretches out your college by six months or a year, that just seems like a great program uh, and, and a great way to fund your, your college expenses, too. Could you uh, take a second and just talk just a little bit? I love what you said about college tuition being like MSRP. I would, I would love just to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, sure. So, so nobody pays sticker for college. Uh, nobody's paying a sticker price. And, and it is sort of like, you know, when you walk into a car dealership or a mattress store, you're not going to end up walking out of there paying what their, what their sticker price says. And there, there's financial aid, even for, you know, moderately wealthy people, uh, um, you're still going to get some financial aid a lot of places. Um, some private schools are worth applying to just to see, you know, you may get tons of money to go to a private school. Um, I think public schools usually are, you know, if you if you aren't going to get a lot of financial aid, public schools offer a great uh, value proposition. But I think just knowing that, you know, you're not going to be paying the full tuition, most likely you're going to get some kind of help somewhere. Um, there's a good chance your kid might qualify for some scholarships. Uh, there's tons of them out there that there's very, very little competition for these scholarships. And, you know, this is the, this is the $1,000 Scottish heritage competition or the, you know, the, the, the $2,000 Asian Pacific Islander scholarship competition. You write a one page essay, you submit it. There may not be a lot of people writing these essays and you may be, you know, 20 people may be vying for 10 of these $1,000 scholarships pretty good odds of getting a thousand dollars for very little effort. Um, so those are worth going after. Uh, and then the university itself. And how do you track those down? You know, my, my 15 year old knowledge of those was you go to the financial aid office and get a book and look through it. I'm sure today there's a, a ton of sites out there where you can search. Um, and I, I've seen them. I just can't come up you know, sure, off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's internet sites out there. You just find places that they list all these scholarships. And then you know, if your parents worked in finance, there's scholarships. If you're if you work for a local credit union or, or you bank at a local credit union, they have scholarships. Um, your local city may have scholarships. Your high school may have some. Your county may have some. The, the universities themselves have just tons and tons of scholarships. Make sure your name is in the hat for for those scholarships. Talk to people in your in your department. You know, if you're in the engineering department, civil engineering, mechanical engineering, whatever participate in those professional societies. That's the way I got several scholarships was the, the transportation engineering society, um, at my college. They, they had, you know, that was one of those, they had, they had five scholarships and only four people applied to them. So I got two scholarships one year to $2,000 just for filling out a form. And, and it's, it's, I mean, it's just surprising how much money is out there and how little people actually care to go after it. But but it's out there, especially in the engineering, the engineering tech fields. It seems like they're just floating in money. Justin, one thing you mentioned earlier, which I really want to emphasize here, is hacking college for the financially independent, retired early people. Most of our assets are in tax deferred accounts or maybe home equity. So those are exempt from the FAFSA, you're saying, and our incomes are appear to be low on paper. You mentioned don't just throw out private schools. I want to just kind of touch on this super quick, which is I know there are a lot of most people would just throw out elite schools because of that that MSRP, you know, 60 plus thousand dollars. But I know many of the real elite schools have programs where they offer full tuition and room and board for people who have incomes under X amount. I think it's some of them. Two of the best private schools in Virginia are the University of Richmond and Washington and Lee, and they both have programs, I think it's $80,000 of income. So if you are 
I think for the Richmond one, it's if you're a resident of the state of Virginia and your income is under 75, you go there for free. So are you serious? Yeah, no joke. So there are a lot of these programs for people like us, for people who are early retirees. So I think obviously second generation fire is is just beginning, but I think we all need to kind of be aware of this over the next five, 10, 15 years, how we can really hack college at even at elite schools for nearly free. I think some of the private schools use an additional financial aid form. I, the name escapes me, but they, some of them do look at those tax deferred assets. But, but if it's just a straight, you know, looking at your tax form and what is your income, yeah, I mean, if if they're if you make less than eighty thousand dollars, not too hard to get below that threshold if you're living off of an investment portfolio. Yeah, agreed. And I think I spoke with someone at the financial aid department at University of Richmond, and yeah, it was income, and you have to quote unquote qualify for financial aid, which I believe to be the FAFSA. But obviously, I have to look into it a little further before the time may come where my kids contemplate college. But but yeah, you know, this is something we all need to be aware of. And honestly, we need to write articles and do podcasts about this down the road so everyone in this community can can really benefit from it. Yeah, sure. And what I love what you're doing and kind of some of the the, the framework that we're all operating from is this entire show and, and what we're about is helping you figure out, and I'm talking to the audience, it's helping you figure out how to optimize your life. We're playing inside the rules. We're not telling you to do anything illegal here. All we're saying is our government has set up a program, has set up a system, a tax system, and our educational system has set up a, a way to help some people out. And if you don't know the rules, you can't win. But if you know the rules, you can crush this game and do it so much smarter than everybody else is. So when we're, we're now when we're talking to Justin Ruta Good about how what these things he's actually figured out, we're trying to just get little pieces, things that we didn't already know, and then figure out how can we apply that to our life and then also our kids? How can we help stay inside the rules and optimize every single aspect of our life? And just, we want to win, right? I, I want to win. So everything you're saying is just, it's, it's hitting on every cylinder for me, Justin. I'm loving this. Great. Hey, Justin, one last thing about college. So when you were describing yourself, A, in this podcast and B, in the article, you said you went to a top tier public high school you had excellent SAT scores that could have gotten you into a more prestigious school. I like to go back to that moment of decision because actually, honestly, I was in a, a very similar thing. Top Long Island high school, top whatever, 1% SAT scores, you know, got into top 10 schools, but didn't go there. I'd love to hear your thought process. Like, how did you know at that point? Because everything about society, unfortunately, is keeping up with the Joneses. But Phi, to me, is about psychology, about being a little bit smarter than the next guy. And I'd love to hear your decision. Like, how did you resist the pull of those prestigious schools? Uh, I guess I can probably plead ignorance here. I just really didn't know much about the elite schools. Um, and I'll give an example. Duke University is probably 10 or 15 minutes from here. And I just really had no clue that it was elite or that it was you know, any better than any other school out there or that, that it was known outside of Durham or outside of North Carolina. Um, so I think it was just I just didn't really appreciate as an 11th grader, you know, in high school thinking about college. I didn't really appreciate the potential benefits uh, of a more elite school. And conversely, I mean, I also knew that, hey, I've got this very easy path lined up here with North Carolina State University. Um, I, I know how the system works there. I know how the credits work. It's right here in my hometown. Um, it's going to be a very easy transition. I can I can start taking classes during the summer. You know, I, I'll, I'll have a local support network. I know the town. 
it, it is that actually the the university was closer to my my home growing up than than my high school was. So it was um, you know it's it a very familiar territory. Um, so I, I think I just chose the school because I, I knew the getting a degree there in engineering would be it'd be a good degree. It'd be very useful and lead to a, a reasonably good career. But also the costs were very moderate. Um, you know, tuition back then was three thousand dollars per year. Uh, this is back in 1998. So just very, very little required out of pocket to, to go to this great university and get a good degree. I want to just quickly kind of sum this up. One of the things that you wrote in this article, and this was essentially your bottom line, you said, you know what, my kids are going to be able to attend college and somehow we're going to pay for it and we're not going to come out of retirement to do it. And essentially for the best case scenario, what I see is it's going to be about $24,000. That's going to be the cost of attendance for three years. And four thousand dollars of that, you're going to be able to cut cost on room and board, miscellaneous expenses. Maybe they can live at home with us. Uh, that is sixty five hundred dollars average need based grant, probably free money, but maybe some loans. Four thousand uh, dollars merit based scholarship and grants. Six thousand dollars in various jobs and internships, and thirty five hundred dollars spending from our five twenty nine accounts. If this rosy tinted picture plays out, we'll have three years of spending at thirty five hundred dollars a year. Uh, times three students. Our outlay will be $31,000 in today's dollars. And our kids may leave college with a small dose of those dangerous student loans. That's about $10,000 less than we have in the 529 counts a day. So we're we're very well prepared if this scenario occurs. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the bottom line is, um, you know, we're talking about very, very minimal outlays in, a, in, the, in this best case scenario, which, you know, I could I could see it playing out. It's not it's not a stretch to think that it could happen. And we've already got the money saved in 529s. So uh, I, I think college is still very doable as, as a parent with kids uh, as you're going into early retirement. I think you have to have some kind of a general plan for it. But I think when you get to specifics, I mean, it really depends on your kid and how much they're going to be able to uh, make on their own and help, you know, in terms of scholarships and financial aid and, and where do they end up in terms of are they 80th percentile or 99th percentile, 95th percentile. That's really going to determine how much free money they get out there that's merit based. And and also to some extent, you know, what kind of college they would end up at. So do you think that college is still going to be relevant in 10 years? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think so. I, I think it makes sense to plan for it uh, and, play, you know, plan on it as as a reality, it takes so long to make these big societal shifts away from, you know, bricks and mortar classrooms and a, and a four-year degree that says bachelor's or, you know, get a master's after that. Uh, I think that's, that's what employers are still looking for, for the most part. And I know some, you know, some elite tech employers might ba- go based on qualifications or, or tests or challenges and, and say, you know, do this. And then whoever solves this in the most elite manner you're going to get a job offer. I think those kind of jobs are very few and far between, especially right out of, you know, at an entry level position. Uh, so I think I think that college degree is still a magical piece of paper that gets you into the door of a whole lot of employers that will pay you somewhere between 40 and 60,000 per year starting out. Uh, so so to try to go through life without a college degree, uh, it's it's certainly possible, but you really have to hustle to do it. So I mean, my, my plan now, you know, looking out, six, seven years out for my own kids is um, 100%, you know, encourage them to go to college, uh, assuming it makes sense for where they're at, you know, scholastically, academically, and assuming college is, is not way more expensive than it is today right now. 
All right. Well, that was a great, I think, just kind of intro into this concept of what's going to happen with college. Um, you know, I don't think we covered that as completely as we could have. There's a lot there. We could probably take each one of those different pieces and really dig into it. And maybe we will if you want to come back on the show and talk about it some more at a future date. But I think right now, what, what it's time for, I'm very excited. We are going to introduce you to the hot seat. Oh, man. Yeah. You ready for this? I think so. I'm ready for it. Yeah. Let's do it. In a world drowning in debt and rampant consumption, trapped by the chains of lifestyle inflation, these questions highlight the secrets of those who have broken free. Welcome to the Choose FI Hot Seat. Did that just blow your mind? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, question number one, favorite blog that's not your own? Oh, that's, that's a tough one because my own is my favorite. But uh, I would say um, Millennial Revolution. Uh, it's about uh, a young couple retiring in their 30s out of Canada. So it's a little bit different that it's not US-based. It's a little bit different that it's not, you know, it's not Mr. Money Mustache. Um, they, they retired early, traveled the world, and uh, doing it doing it maybe on about a million dollars or so. So uh, you know, check it out. They're, they've only been around about eight months. So a relatively new blog, too. Cool. Very cool. You know, I haven't, uh, I haven't checked that out. Millennial Revolution. We'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Very cool. Um, is there any particular article of theirs that you liked? Um, they've got a lot on travel that I, that I like. I can't point to a particular one. Um, there might, I think they have a, a good one on there of like a general overview of, um, or maybe a multi-part series on, on how they got to where they are uh, financially, but really it was like a, they earned a lot of money and they took about five years to build up their, their stash. So. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, question number two, your favorite article of all time. Um, in, in this case, I will pimp my own article from yeah. my own blog. Uh, it, it's uh, it's called From Zero to Millionaire in 10 Years. And uh, th- this is this was picked up by Business Insider and it got over a million views and kind of went viral. And, and so I think it has a lot of popular appeal. And, and th- in this article, uh, I essentially just present how we started, you know, age 23, right out of college with virtually no assets. Um, we had a little, little bit, but we basically built up from zero dollars up to about a million dollars. In, in 10 short years. Uh, and, and, you know, we did not have big six-figure jobs. Uh, we worked regular W-2 jobs, 40, 40 hours a week, got some raises and bonuses. But the, the big story here is we saved a lot of it, invested it, and over that 10 years, it added up to over a million dollars. That's very cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely put a link to that down in the show notes. All right, Justin, number three, what's your favorite life hack? Um, I have to go with Google Calendar. I think it just it, it's very simple and basic, but uh, it, it just helps me stay organized and follow up on things. And, and this is all those little silly, annoying things in life that, you know, you you, you want to do something, but then you, you, you start working on it and then you get halfway through it and then you got to wait on somebody else to get back to you for mm-hmm. a few days. And that's when you forget about it. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I forgot to contribute to my IRA this year. I forgot to, you know, call the cable company back and ask them, why are they charging me twice as much money? So I'll just put a a little reminder in my calendar that pops up a week from now and and says, call cable company, put $4,000 in your IRA, those kind of things. And so that way it will jog my memory and, and remind me, hey, you have to do this. And so it's, you know, it takes a few seconds to set up. Um, each of these little events, but it goes off and then it reminds me, Hey, you got to do this. 
do you set those events up on like a recurring annual basis? Even, you know, something like put money into your IRA on, you know, whatever the date, one, one or, you know, whatever it is. Like, do you set that up recurring indefinitely? Yeah, actually, I, I do have some of those where um, once a month, and I, this was more when I was working, I had some things that would come up weekly or monthly, like like put money into an investments would come up on the 25th of the month. And that's when I would basically sweep all the cash out of my invest out of my checking account that I did not need for that month and put it into investments. Um, I have looked for job opportunities. I still let it come up uh, weekly, even though I'm retired. But just to, as a reminder, think about, is there anything productive that I want to do? Today, the answer is no. When I was working, the answer was, let me go check out and see if there's any job offers or make a phone call, talk to people and see, are there other jobs out there that are better than what I have right now? Yeah, that's really powerful. I, I know I actually use an app called Todoist, T-O-D-O-I-S-T. Uh, and I use it in a very similar manner to you. Actually, what's funny is we did our own hot seat a couple of weeks ago and I mentioned another thing, but that actually is probably my biggest life hack is I've basically put my entire life into Todoist. So all these little nagging things that I had to remember, I've outsourced to Todoist at this point. It's I have everything in life recurring. I mean, down to get new contacts on the f- contact lenses on the first of every month or change the air filters in our house quarterly. Yeah. You know, I, I, I ignore that reminder every single time. <laughs> yeah. My, my air filter reminder just came up and it's nice. in a week. So nice. But, Great minds yeah, think alike, Justin. That's awesome. Check your, oil, check your tire pressure. Yeah. That's a, that's a monthly thing for me. Um, air filters every two or three months. Uh, all, you know, all those little things that you just forget about doing, but they're you take five minutes. Very important to do. Um, that's, that's where Google calendar or, you know, any other calendar or to do list. I mean, any kind of an app like that, that reminds you, let a computer keep track of all those little events. Yeah. This is so crucial out there. Um, anyone listening out there, please take her word for it. This is huge. I mean, the psychological satisfaction of not having to remember mm. dozens upon dozens of these little nagging things, your mind is free to actually focus on real things. I mean, I, I don't have this running list of annoying little items that I have to do because I know I'm coming up almost on a year that I've been using Todoist. So I know literally, you know, once I get to that year point, every single thing that I do in life is in Todoist. So I don't need to remember anything anymore. It's great. I mean, as long as you're diligent about it, right? So if you're diligent and you put everything in there, man, it is just so freeing. So anyway, don't want to uh, steal your hot seat here. So (laughs) let's move on to number four, your biggest financial mistake. This is a tough one. I think we've done very well overall. Uh, probably, I would say law school, uh, just because it's three years of life. Um, it you know tuition was not free, so there were, we had to pay for, for law school, and I, I it helped me some in my career, but not. I don't think it was critical. Uh, so I, you know my my earnings were delayed by three years because I was in, in law school, and it probably did not pay back in terms of higher salaries or more opportunities, but it, it did to, to some extent. But I would say that's probably the, the the biggest mistake was, you know, as a 20 year old going to law school instead of just starting work or getting a master's degree in engineering um, was, was that decision just to stay in school longer because I didn't really know for sure what I wanted to do. I think, you know, I would have been better off in hindsight just going to work. 
Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. De- definitely when you're going through college, it's just critical. You think, why am I taking these classes? How is this advancing the picture? And if your your goal is to have a 40 year career as a lawyer, then that, that totally makes sense. But if you at an early age discover this alternate path that we're discussing here, make sure that the career choice that you're making and the, the classes that you're taking, you know, have a way of fitting into that picture. All right. Question number five, the advice you would give your younger self. Uh, I think the biggest piece of advice would be to stick with it. So financial independence is, is, a, is an abstract concept when you're just starting out, you know, the idea that you'll have enough money to support yourself indefinitely. You'll have that, that early retirement, that flexibility to do whatever you want to with your daily schedule and, and your weekly and annual schedule. But, but the, you know, just stick with it. Keep investing. Keep saving. Keep thinking about money, trying to get yourself on that, that automated path so that you automatically work towards financial independence. Um, we know I, I did that. We, we reached financial independence, but I think that's what, you know, telling myself or someone out, else out there who's just starting out in college, 20, 23, just graduating from college, come up with a game plan and stick with it. And a bonus question, uh, your one of the things Brad and I decided to do, we thought it was really cool because the fire community is generally a frugal group of people, but we find that even though we're frugal 90% of the time, that gives us a lot of flexibility with the other 10. And oftentimes we make purchases that will surprise you know, our, our audience. And so I know I have things that I splurge on. Brad has things that he purchases. And so we were curious, what is the thing that you purchased on Amazon last year that you were the most excited about? Oh, wow. Um, probably this was not from Amazon, but, um, this was, this was from somewhere else that was even cheaper than Amazon, which is hard to believe, but we bought a set of, I guess you would call them ultra books for a, a his and hers ultra book. Um, they are, have very similar specs to like a MacBook pro. Um, it's three pounds or so. And, uh, but it's, it's a windows, I'm a windows guy. It's a windows machine. Uh, but it, but it was only $350 brand new. And usually it retails for about six or seven hundred, and it's it's just a nice, fast, punchy computer, thirteen inch screen, um, very light. And this was, you know, the idea was travel it with it, tra- uh, take it with us to Europe this summer, so we can stick it in our book bags. We're traveling very light, so we're going to stick it in our book bag. Uh, very very portable, nice long battery life, solid state drive. So uh, it's a tech toy, but um, you know it's useful for helping me with the blog and producing producing content on there, and uh, just general uh making life a lot a lot nicer having a nice fast punchy computer that sounds actually really really cool uh i'll check that out uh justin you know thanks so much for coming on the show with us this has been a lot of fun i know i've learned a lot from it i'm going to be going back and really diving through some of this information about college and trying to piece together you know my own version of that what what would i do taking everything that you've kind of put together and really what I want to do right now is kind of just open this up for our audience. I'm sure there are, you know, you're pretty well known in this space, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that have never heard of you before or have never been to your block. And I'd like to give them a way to, to connect with you. How would you recommend that someone wants, that wants to dig through your content and find out a little bit more about the stuff that you're doing? Uh, how can they connect with you? Well, uh, the first go-to would be the, the block itself. And it is at root of good.com. And uh, I'm also on Twitter and Facebook. Um, so you can probably just search for me on there or follow links from the blog. Uh, I believe it's root of good blog is the username both at Twitter and at Facebook. So you can uh, put that in there. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty active on there on, on social media. So if you 
if you need something, shoot me a message on there or go to the website. There's a contact form on there. Check it out, subscribe, and you know, you'll get usually an article or two per month right now. So you might see some cool pictures of wherever we're traveling or you know what we're what we're spending or what we're not spending money on this month. So some tips on hacking taxes, finances, investments, that sort of thing. Thank you so much, man. This has been a blast. Justin, thanks again. This was awesome. Really, really great conversation. All right. Glad to do it. All right, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy your sandals. Uh, I will probably block you if I get too many more pictures of you in sandals <laughs> on a 75 degree weather day. <laughs> oh, it's one of those days. I hear you, brother. Go enjoy. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle class America build wealth one life hack at a time.